Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm David Van Bepper. And we are joined today with another great guest. We've had him on the Tag Your It podcast before, so this is his second appearance, but we'll allow him to say his name and hello to you guys. Hi, I'm Jacob Tanner, and thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Oh, it's awesome. And so, you know, uh, if you if you guys don't know, um, Jacob was a student of Dave. We just got kind of done, you know, pre pre uh, hit and record and getting this thing going on, kind of mentioning that. But yeah, Jacob was a student of Dave. And so he's written a couple papers. So last time we had uh, him on, we were talking about uh, young earth creationism um, and, and those things. So if you could, uh, if you want to hear that, it's a really good discussion. He's got a really good uh, paper he wrote on it. Uh, please uh, just go back on our catalog. And uh, type, you can type in Jacob Tanner, you can type in Young Earth Creationism and find that episode. I do not have it pulled up yet. And uh, this is now, I think, I, I think this will be episode 294. So we're getting really close to that 300 mark anyway. So I just want to thank you all for, uh, for that. Thank Dave for his time and all the guests, including you twice now, Jacob, uh, for taking your time and just all the work that you do that we get to end up uh, utilizing for the podcast and getting the word out about. So appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. 300 episodes. That's exciting. We're getting close. Well, we've been doing it since 2017. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, I've known Adam longer as a podcaster, co-podcaster than I had ever known him before. So, uh, (laughs) which is really an interesting thing. People have assumed, Oh, you guys must've been friends for years. Actually, we met on a, at a coffee shop in late February of 2017 and started recording in April of, uh, of 2017 or, or late March. So yeah, well, Jacob, tell us a little bit about yourself. For those who haven't listened before, just give us a background on what you do. Tell us about your family, uh, what you're involved in. Yeah, sure. So I pastor Christ Keystone Church. Uh, we are a Reformed Baptist. I've been saying church plant, but we've made the year mark. And I was ter- told recently, stop saying church plant. You're just a church now. So we are a Reformed Baptist church in central Pennsylvania. And the Lord has blessed the work that we're doing here. Um, The joke is I was talking to a friend the other day who's nearby and I told him, yeah, we're averaging uh, 30 to 40 people now. And he said, praise the Lord. That's gigantic for a Reformed Baptist Church (laughs) in central Pennsylvania. And it actually that is it is. uh, It's a very, very difficult area to bring Reformed theology into. Um, very Arminian influence, very, uh, holiness, uh, Wesleyan driven. So it's, there, there's a lot of work to be done. So the, the mission statement of the church and myself is reform, rebuild, reclaim, uh, reforming the church, not only ours, you know, the church is always reforming, but see the churches in the area reformed, uh, and begin to understand biblical doctrine and then rebuild communities biblically and then reclaim uh, culture ultimately for Christ. So that's that's the goal. That's what we're doing. That's what we're striving for. And the Lord has blessed us with uh, some very godly families whom we love dearly who are also sharing the work with us. So we're excited about that. Um, I'm married to my wife, Kayla, and we have two boys, Josiah and Owen. Uh, I get the question all the time. Josiah, that's the Bible. Uh, Owen, where'd that name come from? John Owen. So, uh, yeah, come on. Yeah. yeah you gotta one, go with John Owen all day. Yeah. Yeah. One of them, one of them that was named after a King and the other one was named after, I would say one of the Prince of the theologians. So there you go. Yes. Uh, yes. so we have two sons and besides that, I do a bit of writing, uh, for various ministries, uh, published, uh, my 
first book earlier this year, Union with Christ. Um, and now this ultimately is my second book uh, that's been published. And that's why Sally can't preach through G3 Publishing. Awesome, G3 Press, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's, that's an awesome opportunity. And you're out there with some like other folks that, I mean, people read all the time. So I pray that, uh, you know, your ministry just gets bigger and bigger, um, because of this and that, uh, the word, and it's not about you, you're glorifying right. God through it. But then again, uh, we pray that you become a great means using all the tools that God has provided you, um, in education and time and, and, a church congregation and all that, that, uh, with all that, I mean, I, we just, your ministry is awesome. And, uh, you know, it's like, I'm not envious or coveting in that sense, but you know, it's, it's just awesome to see that. And that would be something that I would want to, and, uh, you're doing it and we are totally tag your, it is totally behind you. So it's awesome to, to hear everything that's going on. So, um, but yeah, so glad, again, just glad to have you back. And here's why again, today um instead of talking about young earth creationism and you wrote on that uh, he mentioned that he wrote a book for a g3 publications called why sally can't preach and so um where did you come up with this title um and uh, what message are you trying to communicate with this title uh so it came from two places there was a book written a few years ago a very good book uh called why johnny can't preach mm. um and i always liked that title and i wished i would have come up with it but uh, didn't obviously, but, um, as I was thinking about this, this project, this book, uh, which was actually born out of a series of sermons that I was preaching at my previous church, um, a church that actually was wrestling with the idea of women in eldership. Um, I was also thinking about a book that had been released, uh, when Harry became Sally, I think was the name oh. of it a few years back. And so Sally was just sticking out in my head and I was like, well, it kind of works with Johnny a little bit if I just take that title out. So why Sally can't preach uh, started just spinning in my head and got the gears turning a little bit more. And I started to think and I realized that the title actually expressed exactly what I wanted it to. It's not just that women shouldn't preach. It's actually that women cannot preach um and so let me let me just explain what that means because i know i've gotten a lot of questions on that already and uh my some of the men at my church were very kind yesterday morning uh yesterday was sunday for us and so he he decided to get up um some youtube comments and some other comments he had found of people trashing both the book and myself uh so let me just explain real quickly what that actually means uh i believe that preaching ultimately, according to the Bible, is a fundamentally masculine task that is reserved for biblically qualified men. And what I mean by that is that when somebody gets up to preach behind a, a pulpit, a sacred desk, what they're ultimately doing is they are expositing the scriptures in such a way to not merely proclaim truth, but to exposit it in a practical way that the people in the congregation, therefore, are going to live by. So the very act of preaching itself exercises leadership. And so Amen. right then and there, it has to be masculine and it has to be biblically qualified men who are preaching. So I wanted to try to encapsulate that with just the title itself. And I think you did that really well. And that kind of brings me to that next component of, you know, what really brought about the book? You talked about you preaching through a series, but were there some cultural, social factors that really put this on your heart? Yeah. Uh, so I'll make the long story as short as I possibly can. I was actually serving at a church that was part of a denominational uh, group 
that embraced the ordination of women. So the it wasn't really a denomination so much as it was a conference, but they were perfectly a-okay with bringing women in. I didn't know this at the time. I didn't realize that there were women being ordained. When you looked at the website at the time, it wasn't on there. It wasn't until after I came into the church that I found that part out. Um, but also, I had found out after being voted into this church that there actually were women who had previously served as elders, and there were actually two serving as elders when I was brought in, which I, I didn't know this at the time. Um, I had been asked the question in the interview process, and this is on me, right? I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't check into things as much as I should have. Um, but, you know, this was a clear issue. And so I was actually going to, after I was voted in, I was going to walk away from it and say, listen, this is biblically not not where I'm called to be. I believe that this is sinful. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just going to walk. But a pastor friend of mine said, listen, you laid all of your cards out on the table. You told them everything that you believe. I had shown them the 1689 confession. And, you know, I thought I had done enough that that wasn't enough. You, you have to do more when you're seeking a church uh, to pastor and they're seeking out a pastor for themselves. So this pastor said, listen, you were voted in. You agreed to the terms and conditions. You didn't know this part, but you need to at least give it your best shot to seek reformation. And so I did. I went to one of the men who were serving as elders at the time, and I said to him, listen, uh, I want I know I don't have clout right now. I'm a new pastor. Um, but what I want to do is preach for the next year on biblical gender roles. That won't be the sole thing I preach on because there are other things, too. You know, we want to preach the gospel. We want to preach on what our ecclesiology should be. But biblical gender roles is going to be one of the fundamental things that I'm preaching on over the next year. And at the end of this year, I want to go to vote um, with both the board and the congregation and get it in approval that, number one, there will never again be a woman elder in this church. Number two, we're going to leave this conference uh, because I had begun talking to the conference and they were not interested at all in leaving that sort of structure. Um, so I, I got the approval of this particular elder to do this. Um, it ended up being a little bit more than a year before we eventually sat down to have this meeting. And long story short, uh, it didn't go that well. Um, they ended up not being very receptive. And I, it wasn't surprising. Um, I, a lot of what is in Why Sally Can't Preach um, are the sermons that I was preaching at that particular point in time. So they're they're cut up a little bit different they've been edited but basically everything outside of i think it's chapter four um all of that is sermons that i was preaching and they've just been edited and kind of stitched together to make the book um and the reactions at the time were not good uh there were a lot of people who were angry a lot of people frustrated and it became clear after that particular meeting we had where we discussed these things that what was best for my family was that we we leave this situation. Um, but as I was in the middle of that, I guess I had never really considered that this is still a big problem in the church today. And it just so happened that around the same time you had uh, all of the issues with Rick Warren hmm. in the SBC. Um, you had all of the issues with Beth Moore, obviously, wanting to become hmm. a pastor. Um, and then even uh, on smaller scale, I suppose, but somebody like Amy Bird. Um, who decided that after, you know, however many years she was finally going to 
turn the corner and she was going to start preaching as well. And so it became clear to me that this was something that actually needed to be written. It needed to be said. And what's I will say this, what's strange about the release of the book so far, and I think technically it's been released because some people have gotten the book. Um, what's been strange about it is there's a number of people who have messaged me saying they agree with it. They love it. They're just afraid to openly state that. Uh, so what I would encourage people, if anybody listens to this, and they're like, I love that. I agree with it. I'm just afraid to say it. The whole reason I wrote this was so that you would be bold enough uh, to stand for the truth. So hopefully this creates also courage in men and women to stand upon the truth of God's word. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's exceptional. And I love that component of making sure that you intentionally attach yourself to this, because that was one of the things that I noticed about the entire tone of this book. We talked about it a little bit before, but uh, you were not backing down. And of course, we're called not to back down, but to destroy arguments. And so, uh, right. Adam, do you have that next question? Oh yeah, yeah. I was just I was uh, trying to because like uh, uh, for the listeners anyway and the watchers, you know, like he was answering the question almost already. So I'm just trying to figure out like we want to get you know into it because um, you know, and and it's not just uh, you, Jacob. It's a lot of other uh, personalities uh, that are talking and everything. Uh, we get down to this idea of patriarchy. Um, that's kind of in the air of. Uh, of what's going on. And so do you see like uh, a patriarchal, like a anti patriarchal fight, you know, amongst us Christians? Um, mm -hmm. and what do you say on that? Do you see the fight? Do you see um, worth, what do you see that's wrong about the idea of like, that's that patriarchy is bad. Patriarchy is good. Um, what, what would you say in that? Cause I got to restructure this question because he did sort of <laughs> get his response and everything, but, uh, but the, this is a, a key point to, uh, talk about because we we're going to get into the scripture we're going to talk about male headship we're going to talk about right. male representation and you're a 1689 guy you know you've already uh showed your your uh your colors saying that you're a reform baptist church your pastor <laughs> at, and uh that document you know says adam you know like and we know that yeah. you know whenever eve sinned adam didn't sin and like first anyway he went with it um but you know he was still responsible for the fact that eve sinned and so we, we do have to talk about patriarchy and then how do we how if if you're against patriarchy how do you come out of the bible so like what do you see in that sort of uh like i get you're not in the sbc um which can have its major benefits but uh, <laughs> what do you see like in the baptist milieu um with this and uh what would your response be i guess to that yeah so Patriarchy, I think, is an interesting topic. I actually opened the book by talking about it. And I think that mm. fundamentally, patriarchy is imbued within the creation itself. Uh, yeah. I think it's important to understand that God specifically refers to himself as father, father, son, Holy Spirit. So right there, the creational order is that God, who is above everything, is basically the patriarch of the universe. And we then, who are members of the body of Christ, as men, are to reflect the image of Christ to others. And that begins really in the household, right? So mm -hmm. we have men leading their families. And that's the, the prerogative of Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, uh, husbands, lead your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. So right there. I mean, you have this cosmic order that is given to us and everything begins to expand outward from there. So then we have within the church, 
biblically qualified men are elders and they're leading. Um, and I think a solid case can be made that that's even the way God intends for society to operate and run. And something really has gone askew. It's gone awry when you don't have men in leadership. Now, let me let me sort of preface that or, or I guess sort of correct any sort of confusion there by saying in our country, in the United States of America, a, a republic uh, based off of the Constitution, I would not have a problem voting for a conservative woman, for example, if that is the best possible option that is given before us. There, there's no issue there. But I think it's better. I think it's right and good if we have men who are actually leading the way and taking the charge, even in society. Now, again, that's different from the church. The church, I would say it is it is wrong. It is sinful and it is never right for a woman to lead within the church. It has to be a biblically qualified man. And within the family, I understand there are situations where sometimes a woman must lead. For example, if a husband leaves father leaves, that wife, that mother suddenly has a responsibility thrust upon her that tells you things aren't the way they're supposed to be. But nonetheless, because he's there or in a situation where he's been incapacitated or what have you, um, it's right and it is good for, in those situations, the woman to lead faithfully because something has happened to make it so that the man can't. But again, patriarchy is one of those things we see uh, within history. We see it within the cosmic order. We see it within scripture itself again and again and again. I think one of the big uh, sort of issues that I'm noticing now that I find extremely fascinating is the battle that seems to be being waged between complementarians and those who say that they hold to patriarchy. And maybe this is just uh, what I've noticed so far. But I think what might be better is if we would note that there's a soft form of complementarianism um, that is basically egalitarian in most of its approaches. I mean, it would say men are the leaders, men are the head of the household, head of the church, sure. Uh, but then it gets really wishy-washy on a couple of different things. Like they would say men have to earn the respect of their wives before they can properly lead them. I would say there's a hard form of complementarianism that basically is patriarchy that says, no, men are to lead, women are to submit to their husbands, regardless of whether or not they have earned uh, their respect. And that's difficult to accept. I understand that. But I think another thing we need to note here is that when it comes to that patriarchal structure of, of the cosmic order, um, we are not saying that women are to submit to every single male, right? Because that's, that's nowhere in scripture. That's not right. Um, instead, wives are to submit to their husbands. So to their example, and, like, and that's like let's stress it because uh, you know the Bible actually stresses it. Yeah. Uh, submit to what your own husbands. So again, we got to make sure that we're in the framework that God says don't add or take away. And like we're having like you're having informal conversations, and it's so easy to like leave words out. But whenever we're getting this serious and this tight, right? Because you're seeing. Right. Okay, so we, we had complementarianism and a lot of reform dudes totally fine with the with the with the word for a long time. Correct. But then things go haywire and you're seeing this soft and hard thing going on and now we're mm -hmm. fighting. So now we got the infighting that people are seeing and it's like, well, now we've got the extreme 
like patriarchy and then we got the extreme like soft <laughs> yeah. it'd be weird to say extreme soft but uh you know but you're kind of like on this like spectrum here and like and, and the cool thing is like we, we can see that god is doing his work because he's tightening he's making us do that tightening okay so where are we going to go and we're not going to do like a hegelian um synthesis between the antithesis of both of those right but like right. what does the bible say so he's god is putting us in a position that we're going to have to deal and and trust that his word is clear and infallible and like all those kind of things and so um, so but, but that's definitely like i i i wanted to point out like yeah it's your own husband's and so, you know, I, you can continue on, but, you know, the next question that would come out of here, do you see a problem with uh, just the, un the not understanding of sphere sovereignties and, and, and where that goes? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a couple of different issues that I've been noting that's kind of related to all of these things. And some of it, I'll be honest, I didn't realize until a few weeks ago when the book was announced and now with its publication, I've seen uh people coming out of the woodwork a lot i didn't know some of uh, some of them i do know some of them i know personally and there there's a spectrum here right where there's some people saying well what what jacob is suggesting is that women are to submit to every single male in authority over them everywhere all the time and again i think that is that misunderstanding of sphere sovereignty right so yeah. again we have different spheres here i would say three simple ones, right? For the sake of the time here, we've got the household, we've got the church, we've got society or civilization within the household. Again, let's reemphasize it just because I love how uh, people can take little tiny clips from social media now or YouTube and just like make it say whatever they want it to say. So let's reemphasize it again. Let's make it as difficult yeah. as possible for people <laughs> to do that within a household. Women submit to their husbands, their husbands, your own husband. So uh, for example, neither of your wives would submit to me and my wife would submit to neither of you because you're not their her husband. I am not their husband. Right. So we've got that that down within yeah. the church. I would say the biblically qualified elders who are leading the church are the leaders who not only the women, but the men in the church are submitting to as well. So yeah. there shouldn't be really any issue there. And then within society as well, we have this structure where we see we submit to the leaders over us as long as they're obeying God. Otherwise, God takes preeminence, obviously. And so yeah. that's where you get into obey God, defy tyranny in all of its forms. Yeah. And, uh, and, that, and would yeah. you say that that understanding then, because like you're saying that um, a husband's abdicating his authority um, so that woman could actually go to the elder. Sure. And then and be able to talk and that elder would then step in and interpose for the woman. Like, go, I need to be led. My husband isn't. And then she goes to the elder and then the elder does what he does is prepare him for ministry, which we, again, we need to broaden the uh, the the def definition of ministry because that's a ministry in the home. So we've got three symbols in the Bible that says we got the rod. OK, this is the so this is the sphere of sovereignty. We've got the rod. Yeah which is the home. We got the keys, which is the church. And then we have the sword. All right. And so they're all being wielded by different people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but then you have that. So whenever people say they see bleed over, it's like, well, yeah, if you're abdicating your authority as a husband, well, if you're in a part of a church, then that's the work of the elders to get you to man up. Yeah. Yeah. So, then that, so there is that. So like, we're almost treating like whenever we have these conversations, we reduce just to that one particular 
without getting the wider uh, meta, I guess, of the, what that presupposes. And so this is, again, we're getting into the Van Til framework uh, that I'm always going to do that. And I, I can't escape it. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, but yeah, I just wanted to like to help clear up for those uh, clips that could be had. But, you know, so it's one of those things, you know, Jacob here is saying that, you know, he's not saying that it's always going to be the deal that you're going to take what you think your worldview is taken someone else's worldview and then interpret it by your worldview and you're going to be wrong. So like we need to back up and go, what did Jacob say in this book? Instead of going, my worldview says your worldview says this. And then that's just going to be gobbledygook and just right. take get in Jacob's car and take, go along for the ride and be consistent with Jacob and then be consistent with your position, put them together and go, which one actually does the Bible say is right. the right worldview. And so I just wanted to help clear that up. But you know, you're hitting on a lot of good key points here for sure. Jacob, observationally, and I don't think that I'm the only person who lacks or who holds this observational position, but observationally, we live at a time of great gender confusion. And if the church is to be the buttress of truth, I believe that there is a fundamental connection to those gender distinctives that we see in scripture again scripture gives light it brings light into darkness you clarify that so well by dealing with the pronouns in titus chapter one uh, first timothy chapter three why do those two key pieces settle the debate on this and likewise clarify <laughs> the gender dichotomy that it is true to the world sure so when we look at both of those instances, we have uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and then chapter 3, and then we also have um, Titus. And in all of those instances, and we're referring to the scripture that speaks of um, who is called to be an elder, who is called to preach, there are within just a few verses multiple examples of solely, solely masculine pronouns being used. Now, what that tells us, you know, good common deduction to make here is that only men then can actually fulfill these roles. It means those biblical distinctions matter, but so do the gender distinctions. So God has created men, he has created women, and they can't always do the same thing. In fact, they are not created to do the same thing. There are different things for both of them to do. So physically, we are different uh, from women. Uh, not intellectually, I wouldn't say, but emotionally, in a sense, yeah, men are different than women. And God has intentionally designed that for good. So it's good that God has done this. Now, when you're looking, this is one of my favorite arguments that I've seen so far. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, for example, people will bring up, well, sure, the, we see masculine pronouns being used. but And this is a legitimate argument I've seen. Um but those pronouns in the Greek are kind of gender fluid. So maybe it doesn't really mean what you think it means. Um, so let's ignore the, the actual pronouns being used for a second. And let's acknowledge the fact that the Bible also very clearly states that an elder is to be the husband of one wife. Stop. There's, there's no other place you can go with it. So clearly those pronouns, which, which were inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? are there for a very intentional purpose and reason. God does not make mistakes. So when he says you have to be the husband of one wife in order to be a pastor, to be an elder, a bishop, an overseer, whatever uh, your particular English translation uses there, um, it's referring to men. 
Now, Mm -hmm. that's helpful because, again, it tells us then that God cares. And if God cares, well, hey, we ought to care as well. We must care because if we don't, if we don't follow this, if we don't obey it, we're actually in a great deal of sin. And I think that this helps us in a couple of other areas as well. When we're thinking of the gender confusion that's going on in the world right now, um, I I am a firm believer that the pulpit leads the way in in a lot of different things. Um, You see that in the abolition of slavery, right? The pulpit led the Mm -hmm. way. I praise the Lord. I think we're seeing that in the abolition of abortion, that the pulpit, again, is going to be the leader of the way. But that also means in a negative sense, if the pulpit. Uh, is not fenced, it's not guarded, and anybody can enter into it and preach willy-nilly, then we're going to see a degradation of society as well. Because if the pulpit's not taken seriously, and if the qualifications aren't taken seriously, then ultimately violence is going to be done to the Word of God and to the church. And so that's another reason why I I wrote this. Um, When I say Sally can't preach, I, I literally mean she cannot. And the reason is because of what I said earlier, not only is it a fundamentally masculine task, but think of it this way. God only calls biblically qualified men. He only gives the gift of preaching and pastoring to biblically qualified men that he calls. And he gives that gifting through the Holy Spirit. God's not the author of confusion. So he is not going to equip somebody with a task to do and then say, but you're actually not able to do it. Because that would be confusing, right? It, it would be, it would be something. It's just not what God does. It's it's antithetical to the way that He operates. It's the complete opposite of what Scripture tells us about the Lord. So, women can't preach. That that's fundamentally clear. At the same time, though, I think we can kind of veer off in this direction for a moment. Um, women are called to proclaim the gospel, mm-hmm. and that that is completely different. Every single believer in Christ is called to proclaim the truth. And so every one of us, in a sense, is called to be an ambassador for Christ, right? Every single one of us is called to go forth and obey the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations. And that is a task, I believe, if if the person's saved, it's for not only the men, it's for the women, and it's for the children as well who are actually saved. Now, discipleship has to occur. They have to be prepared. They have to know, hey, how to defend the faith. But every single born-again believer in Christ is called to the work of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. But that is not preaching. Preaching is when the word of God is exposited in a practical way, and the one preaching leads the congregation to submit to the authority of God's word and to apply those truths to their lives. Yeah. So you're saying— Mary, the the Mary crew at the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're going to say that wasn't preaching? (laughs) Nope, that was not preaching. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. So I was like reading through the questions and David, that one written down and like I, my body shut down. (laughs) Yeah, we do have to ask the question, but like, I just, I have like all the memories in my head of just like when I've heard that from people. And I'm just going like, if that's if that, if that's low hanging fruit, that's all you have. Like that's you just don't understand. And so like you almost feel bad for them, for the people that do that, because like that means they have not been taught what preaching is, mm. what a sermon right. is. They can't look at Hebrews and go like, oh, that's a sermon. If you go to Timothy and what it means to preach the word in season and out of season and hitting all those points and like letting the Bible interpret the Bible and come to the conclusion that 
you know, Hebrews was a handwritten sermon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that is a sermon. And then I have that, you know, and, and so they just don't understand what preaching is. And so the, the sad thing is that shows the state of the church. Um, yeah. wherever it is, whenever they're, somebody's making that. So it's like, they're still, um, responsible for their ignorance. Um, but at the same time, we can look at the environment that would produce that too. And we'd be like, we'd be sad for that's the state of it, you know? And so that gets into, um, this next question here is, you know, like, what's your rebuttal against Rick Warren here? Because we've had had that you know like i was in the room in anaheim you know i didn't get to see it finished out uh this year in new orleans but i was in the room and like totally like blindsided by seeing uh a uh a guy that is from orange county not wearing a i'm here for the sbc uh tag as a messenger or anything but got special <laughs> privileges to go up to a mic and just totally lambast the crowd with look how freaking awesome i am and I get to be the definer of what pastor is because, you know, I can just take etymology and go like, well, pastoring is shepherding. And philosophically, women can shepherd, like they shepherd kids, you know, just whatever he's doing. Like, he, I don't I've never got an official position paper on like how he does what he does. But, you know, what's your rebuttal uh, for like people like Rick Warren and those that advocate women pastors? Um, especially when I, I guess, uh, you know, in the question here, it's like, you know, discussing the resurrection of Matthew 28, we kind of hit, hit on that. Um, but you know, there's much, there's much more that they draw from than just that, you know, there's, there's more instances where, I mean, you can even get into, uh, I guess the third letter of John where Paul's talking to the woman and like, you've got children (laughs) and you know, is, is that real children or is that spiritual children? Cause when you think about the way John talks about children, it's not necessarily physical offspring. Right. So you could go all day and like take some little proof text here and then philosophize and put it into your worldview unchecked and stuff like that. But what's your like, you know, what's some more rebuttals to um, like these sort of because what I do, I can provide an example like, you know, I have expanded the definition of apologetics when I talk to people to where I can encompass counseling as apologetics. It's not just debate. It's not just sure. Yeah. yeah. Work, you know, so like they're trying to do the same thing with the word pastor. So what's your mm-hmm. rebuttal to like, why, why can't you take pastor and make it so broad? Uh, because pastor is a, a role, right? And it's a role that has been given by God. Um, apologetics, I think you're right. And I think that's great. It does uh, encapsulate a lot. And that's how I kind of use um, apologetics myself. So I use presuppositional apologetics, right? And I think that does yeah. speak to every area of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it's not just making a defense of the faith to make an argument, uh, although we do use it that way sometimes. It's being used also, like you said, for counseling, to strengthen the faith of fellow believers. Pastoring, though, is a role that has been given by God, and there are designated charges that are given to us within pastoring that we can't change. So shepherd the flock, uh, preach the truth, um, counseling, all, all of those things that have been given to us in Scripture are given by God, and they they don't change. They can't change. Um, so how does a guy like Rick Warren get to the position he gets to? Uh, two ways. Um, mental gymnastics uh, <laughs> yeah. can do a great, great deal of horrible, horrible sin in a person's life. So he knows how to twist things. Um, he also knows how to appeal to emotions. Um, and oh, so yeah. oh, what yeah. what you saw at the SBC and I wasn't there. Right. I was just 
watching. At the time, I was in an SBC uh, seminary, so I was very interested to see how it would be handled. And praise the Lord, uh, they disfellowshipped uh, Warren yeah. and Saddleback there. But anyway, um, in the book, I write about this and I say that what Warren made was a Nebuchadnezzar like defense. Uh, so when you think of Nebuchadnezzar, he's standing there and he's looking across the kingdom of Babylon. He's saying, look at all of the good that I have done. Look at all of the great I've done. Um, and then God turns him into a madman um, yeah. and strikes him, strikes him down there. And in a sense, uh, Warren might not be running around on all fours, growing out his hair and nails and eating grass, uh, but he effectively has been turned into a madman by espousing the lies that he's now espousing. I think also what's happened, uh, I think that Warren is sincere in what he is saying. Um, he's sincerely wrong, but I think he's sincere. Yeah. And so he is a good example of someone who has been deceived and is now deceiving others as well. Yeah. And uh, again, that's something we've got to speak to um, mm. because somebody like that has a huge, huge platform and he can do a lot of wicked things with that platform, even if it's unintentional. Uh, so yeah. in a in a very real sense, I I pray for Warren to uh, repent and to seek the face of the Lord. Um, in another sense, I think it's good for us to look at our enemies in this regard and to do what Psalm 2 says to do. Laugh. Uh, really, yeah. you can't help but laugh at some of the insanity that they're putting forth and the lies that mm -hmm. they're they're putting forth as truth, because it's so clearly not true. I mean, how yeah. can you hear some of the things he said? I, I forget all the numbers. I quote his speech in the book. Um, but when he said he trained, I think, over a million pastors, somebody did the math of that. And they were like, he would have had to have been sending out a new pastor every 30 seconds. It's just not possible. Yeah. The statements that he was making, they are just totally pulled from. Well, because air. he's broadened the term training. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I gave him I gave a million people five bullet points on a piece of paper <laughs> to go do. And that's training. Uh, that's well, how I'm defining training. And so, oh, yeah, that's that's the that's the thing. But, yeah, we also you know, we can we can hit him. We also have to take the, the Bible. that says that people with itching ears will also prop these guys up oh, and yeah. so you know so we can't uh you know because like what the narrative now is trying to find the one person that can say they're a victim and they can lambast everybody else and it's like there's no like the people are not necessarily victims rick warren is not a victim right and uh so like so there are people that are underneath his teaching that we can pray that you know the, we pray that the holy spirit calls out immediately and uh, and but we want them all to repent. We, we don't want them to suffer this. But this if you want any sort of general equity principle from Scripture, this is Antichrist. This is the spirit of Antichrist. All right. And yeah. They can put on the form of Christ. Um, and but then again, there he's he's reducing the power of the gospel because he is the power of the gospel. That's the problem. And so that's what since he appealed to that, like Nebuchadnezzar, he is the power of the gospel, not the Holy Spirit, not the word. And you can see that it's not the word because he's not defining the word from the definer who spoke the word. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're in that, get out and uh, Amen. I mean, well, we can we can hook you up with resources to find a place to uh, minister to you to where you can find rest, where you can heal and you don't have to do anything for a while until you get 
built back up. <laughs> you know, we can that can happen. So. Jacob, I, I want to key in on kind of two major yeah. components before we kind of end our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it just really piggybacks exceptionally well off of what you just said there about Rick Warren and his, I think, the Nebuchadnezzar fallacy. Yeah, you know, you got, you got, you got <laughs> yeah. the copyright on that. Awesome. Um, but you argue that women pastors lead to theological liberalism. I imagine <laughs> you've already received a lot of heat from your critics on that as a slippery slope fallacy. But to paraphrase, <laughs> one of my favorite logicians, uh, slippery slopes are not always fallacious by nature. Sometimes they're true. How do you respond to your critics on that? And why is that not a slippery slope fallacy? So I tried to put a section in the book, and there's kind of two chapters that speak to this. Historically, there is very good evidence and proof that every single time, every single time, a church has adopted an egalitarian posture and has ordained women to the pastorate. It does not take long until they have adopted just about every other theologically liberal idea imaginable. Um, So one of my favorite examples to point this out, and it's not favorite in the sense that I'm happy about it, like I'm I am sorely displeased that this has happened. But you look at something like the PCUSA, right? One of the most liberal um, denominations in the world today. It's not a church, right? Let's be frank about that. It is not a church at all. But I suppose at one point it was. And what was one of the things that led it into where it is today? Why today are they inviting drag queens into their church to have story time with the adults and the children? Why are they flying the rainbow flag? How does this happen? How did it happen with the United Church of Christ? How is this a debate right now within the United Methodist Church? How does it keep happening? Well, every single time it traces back to the ordination of women. And I think the primary reason why this leads into that theological drift and the reason this is not the slippery slope fallacy is because you deny gender roles. You're you're just cutting the Bible out from Genesis because Genesis very plainly distinguishes God created them male and female, which tells us what it tells us they're not supposed to do the same exact things. That doesn't mean one's better than the other. They're equal in worth. They're equal in value, but they're different. And if you get rid of that, if you say, no, no, men and women are exactly the same in every single conceivable way, they will then why can't women preach? And if women can preach, why why does gender really matter at all? Why can't it just be fluid? And if gender is fluid, why don't we support the homosexual agenda? And if we're going to support that, well, hey, we might as well also support the transsexual agenda. If we're going to do that, let's just start inviting them into our church and let's let them talk to all of these different subjects that they want to talk to. Um, And I think, again, there's another reason for this as well. As soon as that egalitarian posture is adopted into a church, they've already invited the world in. So they're not only cutting the Bible off at Genesis, they're saying, I want to appease the world and I want to adopt the world's philosophies for us. So rather than to be obedient to God, let's become a friend of Caesar. And along the way, let's make friends with every other Roman that we meet as well, because we want to be liked. And I think that once you get there, I mean, it's it's not a slippery slope uh, fallacy. It's a, a literal slippery slope. They are just downward. They are plummeting down, and they're going to adopt every other sin in the book um, until destruction. There and are so, truly some. There are truly some slippery slopes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
and yeah. that's the reason again for this book um i i don't want them to be in hell for eternity i want them to repent i want them to know christ i want them to know his word i want to see everything brought under the lordship of jesus christ and if that makes some enemies along the way then you know psalm 2 the lord holds them in derision he laughs the joy of the lord is my strength so i'll laugh as well all the while earnestly contending for the truth and praying for their salvation yeah. and repentance Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah, as we're kind of coming up, just making sure to be good with your time, uh, I'll skip the, the next question because the question after that will sort of uh, feed in a little bit to the answer to the last question a little bit. Um, but uh, anyway, like we've done a whole lot of destroying, right? We don't want to just be Zwingli here. <laughs> <laughs> and just destroy things without replacing things. But on this podcast, um, just you know, let's end it with like, okay, so we've said a lot of things that women can't do, mm-hmm. um, shouldn't do, wouldn't do, should you know, couldn't do, whatever. Uh, so what can women do? Like, what is the biblical thing? You know, so if they can't preach from the pulpit, um, what is their job? Because we need to let them know, just you know, poison the well a little bit. Um, every bit of what a woman does um, can build the kingdom of God too. Amen. Right. Amen. So again, here's where you get to the co-equal. We have the same mission. The the mission is equal, and there are things. Mm-hmm. So, what is the biblical role of a woman? Um, what is her teaching um, ability as far as jurisdiction um, and all those kind of things? Sure. So we already said proclamation, and I believe that mm-hmm. women are called to proclaim the gospel to others. I believe yeah. women are called um, to teach other women. That's one of the examples that Paul gives to us in the scriptures that. Um, older women are to teach younger women to love their families, to submit well to their husbands. Um, so they're to be theologians, right? They are to learn the truth of God's word and they're to teach it to one another. Um, they're also, I think, called to teach children, especially within their own household. Now, what that means then is think about it this way. Women are actually raising pastors, they're actually raising the next generation of pastors. Um, I look at my wife, Kayla. She is an extremely godly woman, um, theologically gifted. And I've I've oriented our children, I suppose, in the way that we're going to go. I mean, I've, I've led us in the theology that we're going to teach. But I know that when I, when I leave them in her care, they are in exceptional hands and they're being molded and they're being shaped by her. And at the same time, and this is probably where I'll make uh, some patriarchy guys angry as well. But um, if my wife is reading the Bible and she comes to me and she says, hey, I was reading Galatians and I learned this. Did you know this? If I didn't know it and I look at her and say, leave me alone, I already knew that. I'm an absolute fool because God can use her to help teach me theological truth. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm to be lazy and let her do all of the work. It means I'm to still lead, but I'm also not to be deaf, dumb, or blind to the idea that my wife can understand theology and she can help me understand and apply theology as well. Um, A good example of this, I think, uh, is Nancy Wilson uh, as a person that my wife loves to listen to. Um, So I listen to Doug Wilson. She listens to Nancy Wilson, right? Uh, But every now and again, she'll hear something from Nancy and she'll say, hey, Come listen to this. I think this is really helpful. Um, I don't have a problem listening to Nancy Wilson explain something and then walking away going, yeah, that was a good point. I learned something there. Uh, So there are different capacities in which women can teach. Now, I would say 
there not to exercise authority, though, over men in a teaching setting. So I don't have a problem with a woman doing a podcast. I think that's good. I don't have a problem with a woman writing. I think that's good. Um, but I would have a very serious issue with any of those women then stepping into a pulpit or coming into my household and saying, you guys are going to listen to me now. That's that's not how it works. Um, so when it comes to men, our authority within the household, within the church is supreme. Um, but there are different capacities, even in those places where our wives and the women around us can teach and can help others. And so we are to seek those opportunities, I think, for them. I think it's helpful if we actually put them in these different situations where they can help others. So, for example, my wife um, disciples other women and she seeks to intentionally do that, to disciple them, to mm. help them learn to be homemakers, to raise godly children. Uh, and then within the church itself, if I didn't touch on this already, um, women are, I think, permitted to teach Sunday school, uh, not for the adults, for the children. Um, now, there's a point where obviously a boy becomes a man. And I don't think that the, the boy who's become a man should be in a Sunday school class that's taught by a woman. But if my three year old, uh, I mean, four year old now, if my four year old son is going into the nursery Sunday school. And there are women teachers. In fact, my wife is one of the Sunday school teachers for that age group. I have absolutely no problem with that because he's not yet a man. He is a boy and my wife is raising boys. So, hey, it makes perfect mm -hmm. sense for my wife, for a woman who has children to be able to train those children in that way. Um, when they become teens, I think it's wise to then have men who are there teaching as well. But there really is no shortage of things that women are called to do. And then when it comes to even serving within the church, I mean, women make the meals most of the time. Right. And praise the Lord for it, because most of the men I know really don't cook that great. Uh, some of them do, but not all of them. So praise the Lord for women who are able to cook and bake meals and buy. They can they can plan they can plan things usually far better than men can when it comes to food and setting things up. And they've got an eye for how things should look. And so even when it comes to decorating, uh, yes, my wife is under my authority, but guess who's doing most of the decorating in the house? Her, because yeah. I don't know a thing about it, right? So there are really no shortage of things for women to do. Let me say this. I think the problem arises when people think that the position brings value to the person. It doesn't. The person brings value to the position. And so, I am a pastor, but that doesn't mean I'm of greater worth or value than my wife, right? Yeah. We're just called to different ministries in different areas, and that's by the rule of God according to the word of God. Yeah, yeah. Brother, Appreciate that. I, yeah, I think you have just shed some exceptional light on that, and you've answered your critics quite well. <laughs> I hope you will continue to do that. We're excited to promote this book to the best of our ability yeah, thank you. Uh, I was so glad to get to read it. Uh, I could just uh, hear your voice coming through uh, so clearly. Again, I just think you're so unapologetic in a good way in this book. And that's the type of proclamation that we need in a time where individuals are trying to be so user friendly and not so assertive. No, the gospel is assertive. Uh, when John yeah. says that the light expose the darkness, that's a pretty big deal. 
And so you've done that quite well in this. And I believe that that speaks to the time quite well. And uh, Adam gave me a book a few years ago that Warfield had written about women preachers. And uh, (laughs) I almost went back to that before I read yours just to kind of see. I think yours speaks to the issues of the day better than Warfield's do. While the truth is timeless, you directly combat some of the issues. And uh, I do say that. As one who has read a few Warfield books, uh, I've read a lot of your stuff, too, uh, and so uh, had the privilege of grading some of it. But, yeah, <laughs> I just want to thank you so much and look forward to sending some copies of this. I know a guy from my church that I'm going to send a copy of it to and a guy from, well, a guy in my uh, home, well, was in my home, my father, who I'm going to send a copy of it to. Just, just great work. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Praise the Lord. I really appreciate it. And I hope that uh, after he said that, that you can like exit your office and your head's not too big to fit through the door. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man. Hey man. Well, no, what what I'll do after this is I'll just read all of the stuff from the critics and then don't worry. That won't happen. (laughs) Oh yeah. That'll deflate you a little bit. (laughs) Good, good, good. (laughs) God will keep you humble for sure. Cause yeah, this is such a tough subject, but yeah, we hope that, uh, you know, G3 and stuff like that can continue to uh, help aid, um, especially with the other entities that exist that are having problems and that we can all come together. Cause I know that there's so much, fighting between networks and there's a reason why networks are made and you know yeah. like the big thing in this discussion is we need to pray for uh, that unity um jesus did pray that we would be all one like him and the father Amen. are one and he will have it um but uh it's not just going to be a hyper calvinist it's just going to happen and we sit in our pews and right. sit in our homes like you know like we've got uh, good works to walk in and so um you know you know going from here you know like it is we have to pray um, we can't just discuss. We can't just uh, beat each other other over the head with doctrine. Um, but we do have to pray that the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, brings us all together as one, and that we can march forward and do what you said from the pulpit to the world. Um, you know, the, the church is suffering. So why why are we complaining that the world is suffering, whenever the church is suffering and we're doing squat? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, I mean, it's just the worship influences history and shape his history. So how are we worshiping God and what does the world look like because of it? And so, Amen. you know, I, I would stress, uh, you know, that we need to stay humble and the fact that God will judge the household and he is, and we see it. So let's just see it. Let's confess that we are being disciplined and let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's go back to what God says and just simply do the unburdensome thing because we're burdening ourselves like with horrible definitions and it's causing us to have things like rick warren and anaheim and all that stuff so mm-hmm. let's stop believe jesus let's believe him as his word he's provided it it's sufficient it's clear it's authoritative, and uh, let's let's go on from there so you know i think it's a great that is so appreciate all your hard work i don't know if dave has any last words or anything no, but i think man, we've had a really good uh, show keep yeah, doing thank you. great things jacob we're, we're so grateful for you and excited to do what we can to promote your work yeah thank you praise the lord and i appreciate you guys too and the ministry that you have with this we're doing what we can do <laughs> so appreciate you man well guys uh thank you so much for watching the tag you're at podcast and just uh continue to uh if you're on your podcast app if you haven't left a review please leave us a review uh subscribe on your podcast app tell people to subscribe to it get on youtube subscribe put in comments put in likes and all that kind of stuff and just help get stuff like this out to more people just because we can hit search engines and all that kind of stuff we're not asking for money we're not asking for a lot of work we're just asking for maybe a minute of your time 
one once or twice every once in a while, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. If you could do that for us, that'd be awesome. But uh, with that said, this is the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bepper. And I'm Jacob Tanner. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Awesome.